Let me at least get you your padrops. You have feelings for her, don't you? Isabella? Oh, no, you daft papers. Mary. Oh. I mean, no, no. Please don't tell anyone. I, um, I can't get it out of my head. I, I've known her for years. Oh, I, I, I don't know what happened. Like a thunderbolt. Like a big, thunderous, jubonny, teardrop-scented thunderbolt. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 263 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that thinks the episode where a hoisted Brian projector vomited over the school governors can breathe a sigh of relief. There's a new worst episode in town. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm waiting for my Steli. $26 in my welly. <laughs> is, that, is that appropriate? Probably not. I'm not sure it is. Let's... Let's move on quickly before anyone calls <laughs> child services. <laughs> How are you this week? Ah, oh, stressed. Yeah, I'm on the verge of a panic attack. <laughs> that has been brewing for like a day and a half now. Yeah. Yeah. It's always kind of like this on on weekends when we've got a lot on and people are coming to and fro. And and things are crazy, and you just want to get it over with. Hmm. Even when even when parts of it are going to be fun things, like going to see Oppenheimer and then Barbie. At the moment, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't think I want to see both on the same day. I don't think that's going to give a good experience. I don't think I want to come out of one and within ten minutes go into another one. Well, I I think I want to sit with it for a while. It may be. I, I think I want something immediately after Oppenheimer that makes me happy. Even if it is, you know, a movie that skewers gender norms and ideas of femininity using an icon like Barbie. I don't know. We'll see. It's Barbenheimer weekend. It is Barbenheimer weekend. And there are going to be people that listen to this that have already seen at least one of them. I know. I know. Because And we're not going to get to go until Sunday. I know. Because things are insane. And lots of people have lots of things to do. And most of it's your mother's fault. Well, most of it's Axel's fault for for buying tickets to a concert. And the soccer organization in town's fault for scheduling a full day like i said mostly your mother's fault <laughs> well if we can blame her other than michelle <laughs> might as well make her feel welcome right yes <laughs> well regardless i shall wear pink on sunday i don't think i have anything pink i, I was going to get shirt. the scotland away shirt that is pink and i've I've never got round to it. That's a wee shame. And now when I actually need it, it's too late. Oh well. And I'm not wearing something of yours. Well, I'm not quite uh, that guy just yet. 
there's there's that one shirt, that one stripy shirt that's got some pink in it that my brother gave me. So you wouldn't be wearing my shirt. You'd be wearing Rick's shirt. I'm okay with not wearing pink. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, it'd be fun though. No. <laughs> no. Such a man. Can we at least paint your nails pink? No, my nails stay blue. Sorry. That's the only colour of suit that's black and blue. And that's a nice blue at the moment. Anyway. We should experiment. No. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Oh, I suppose. We're in a bit of a rush. You mean pick up on this theme tonight. We're in a bit of a rush to get through all this stuff so the rest of the weekend can happen. So yes. I'm going to say up, right now, up front, no jokes this week. <laughs> it's just no time for jokes. <laughs> I and think, so far, I'm I being, think it's I'm already being, too late. No, so far I think we're good. <laughs> so yes, let's preamble, my dear. Let's give us some of that nuclear corny news. Barbara Knox ran into an old familiar face at the RHS Flower Show at Tatton Park was this delightful. weekend. This week. Our Rita was there due to a rose being named after her, the gracious lady. But she was practically blooming, having a laugh with Thelma Barlow, who played Mavis Wilton on the show. The wonderful Mavis. Yes, and the two of them were thick as thieves. They were. They were great comedy, the two of them. Uh-huh. Oh. When you think classic Corey, I mean, we're already in the classic Corey timeline way beyond Mavis, but Mavis mm-hmm. was just... <sighs> Mavis for a, a older lady was absolutely what got me kind of hooked on Coronation Street. Oh, when you come and go, she's just such a great character. You do like old ladies, <laughs> and they love you. Oh yeah, <laughs> where's that wah wah guitar button? <laughs> no, it was a delightful, a delightful moment captured. Absolutely, and. Who doesn't like having a rose named after them? Mm-hmm. I don't want to know a rose named after me. Or a nose. No. Roses are overrated. Anyway. Mazel tov to Georgia Mayfoot, who played Katie Armstrong on the show as she marries fiancé Chris Evans. No, no, not that one. Or that one. Or that one. Or even that one. Yeah, or even the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Chris with a K, which is always suspicious. <laughs> I never trust a Chris with a K. K is just a suspicious letter, isn't it? Well, thankfully, you're not being asked to trust them. <laughs> that's up to Georgia Mayfoot. Yes. As long as she's made a piece with it, that's yeah. fine. And finally, <clears throat> this baby is wide awake, but this baby is fast asleep. That's because this baby's mother gives him gin. Drink gin! Specifically, the Hilda Ogden-inspired gin by number 186, Gin Brewers. Gin! Called Wonky Duck, Wonky Duck Old Tom Gin. Order this gin! Now from Master of Malt for £34 a bottle. Gin! And that's Corey News. Do you know, for some reason, I quite fancy a gin. (laughs) And that was Helen quoting from a Harry Enfield sketch from, I think... The 90s. The 1990s, <laughs> to be precise. Why do you sound like Brett Goldstein when you do that? Always. It's either that or Harvey Firestone. <laughs> More of that later. 
No jokes. Now let's you, see what... You do resemble Her- Harvey Firestein a wee bit. You have the same beard. There we go. As do you. <laughs> what does that mean? Let's move on swiftly to Everyone's a Critic. Talking of Hilda, but not talking of gin. At Hilda Ogden on C wrote in last week to say, I love you, as you know. Thank you, Hilda. Yay. But the Chesney and Gemma finance segment makes it very clear you aren't living in the UK. Income support ended a decade ago and people earning professional wages are using food banks and literally freezing and starving to death in England. If it went for working all those jobs each, they might just get universal credit weighed to their means. The maximum for a family is less than 600 a month. I mean, I know you aren't in the country. And you know, as stated, my love for your work. But their poverty is actually massively understated. And it was a bit near the bone, no pun intended. Thank you, Hilda. Yes. For your for your message. And I think, you know, it, it hits a, a nail on the head immediately mm. that I am kind of guilty of imagining that the UK that I left is the UK that currently exists. Right. And that is now more than a decade ago. And right. when we were doing Common Language Podcast, even that, I was like, you know, you're speaking about a topic from a, an American perspective and I'm trying to speak about it from a British perspective and... Even then, like a few years ago, I was already feeling kind of distanced from it all and hardly an expert on the matter. So I think Hilda makes some good points here Mm. and maybe um, too quick to jump on the bandwagon of blaming poor people, which, you know, as I approach my 50s, Typically, we do get a little bit more right-wing the older that we get, and I'm trying to resist it as much as possible. Oh, my darling, you're one of you're one of those people that gets fatter with age, not more right-wing. You're fine. Thank you. And so am I. But as you said, from your perspective, when we were talking about it, you were more coming from the the, the point that they're working as much as other people on the street who aren't Correct. having such such problems and maybe there's a little bit disparity there right yes because you know i think there is there is a perception especially of Gemma, as being low class yeah and i'm I'm not just speaking about finance here and so i think people are more readily acceptable of the show perceiving her as low class yeah even like in things with having our Eating with her mouth open. Right. They just kind of make her out to be uneducated and dragged up rather than being brought up and, right. and that sort of thing. And maybe it's maybe it does go a little bit too far. But anyway, Hilda, we appreciate your comment. We appreciate the time that you took to, to make it. Absolutely. Yay, criticism. And yeah, absolutely. Um, feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. Or our DMs are open at Cory Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to new friend of the podcast, Woohoo! Pickles. Pickles? Pickles. I love pickles. It's fun to say. It is. It's one of those great words. And I'm going to get to say it every week now because Pickles has signed up to be a friend of the podcast, which means that they are given 
a couple of bucks a month and for the couple of bucks a month you get your name read out in the closing credits of each and every episode so thank you very much for signing up for that we really do appreciate it do you think they chose the name pickles just so that we would say pickles every week i don't know maybe pickles can tell us pickles almost as fun as gin the talk of the street is and sometimes you can put pickle in gin the talk of the street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the youtubes but if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it and if you want to show your appreciation you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street and as i said you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode Remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That was a new welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about anxiety and a pogo stick. Well, that's apt. <laughs> anxiety and a pogo stick. Does this have to do something with Phil with two L's? That's right. This was Mary flirting with a delivery driver who asked if she had a boyfriend. No, but she did have anxiety and a pogo stick. Which is just as good. I was Gavin and you were a hot tamale. It was 104 in London that week. Quite week in Lake Wobegon as we prepared for the arrival of one child and the departure of another. We're not going to get the departure of another one this no, year. No, we're not. That's a damn shame. Oh! This week's joke centred around Ronaldo rolling around on the floor clutching his shin <laughs> after a haircut. <laughs> Debbie struggles to put her hands on the kind of cash it's going to take to keep the Baileys happy following the little bit of electrocution last week. Wendy Flaming Crozier put some ghosts to rest by meeting up with Ken. Frank's weird behaviour around Dylan is cause for concern for Todd, but Sean seems to choose to ignore the problem. Tyrone gets home from his mini-moon with filled with two L's, no further forward in his attempts to secure the completion of the annulment documents. Kelly's kidnappers reveal they were betrayed by her father and demand to get their losses back from Gary. When Yasmin's subtle attempts to encourage homeless Stu to find his daughter fall flat, she adopts some more devious means. Gail organises a birthday lunch for Audrey, while the other members of the family plan a super-secret surprise. Wait, nobody even mentioned Audrey's birthday this week. No. Kev cooks a mean chicken curry, Maria is upside down, and Zidane has friends. Our moment of the week was Audrey in the hospital, and our boring moment of the week was Kev's ridiculous reaction to helping Jack with his homework. I remember that. <laughs> Jack asking for help and Kev just losing his shit. And that was Coronation Street, and the talk of the street this time last year. Oh. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. We're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? I ask, please. Our first storyline this week is Please Make It Stop. <laughs> On Monday, Leanne hasn't slept for worrying about Toya. Nick is not exactly full of concern, but never mind. Spider comes in with no news of Toya's whereabouts, but he knows who has taken her. It's a woman called Maggie whose husband was a heroin dealer that Spider busted a while back when he was working undercover, and the husband was killed while he was on trial. Yes, that is the drug dealer who d- who <sighs> died that they thought was Damon last week. Oh, yes. Yes. See, it all gets tied back together. Oh, so this is all really Nick's fault. Such a pretty bow. 
Hmm. Toyers managed to get a decent night's kip in the back of a van. Maggie, what we presume, comes in to give Toya some water and Toya tries bargaining with Maggie, but Maggie says that Toya doesn't have anything she needs and all she needs is justice. She gags Toya again, but not like that, and then leaves. Back at Maggie's passion wagon, it turns out that Maggie has a shooter and she's about to put the next part of her plan into action. Dum, dum, dum. Meanwhile, Leanne bursts into the cop shop. She's shocked and snarky that no one seems to be bursting their arse to find Toya. There is a lead, though. A rental car receipt found in her house, so Spider goes off to check on that. He tries to conceal a text that he's received, but Leanne clocks it and susses that it'll be Maggie. Spider admits that he has a location, but he's got to go alone, and he warns Leanne not to tell anyone. And we see the text that Maggie has sent, and it's kind of amusing. <laughs> Why did he do this? And and the the message it's got from Maggie, which kind of suggests that Maggie's name is already in Spider's phone. <sighs> well, from what we learn later, that is possible because mm. they did meet when he was undercover, mm-hmm. which is part of the problem. Using the same phone number. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, Leon, we Leon. never said he was a smart guy. <laughs> Leanne is frantic when she goes to the bistro to explain all this to Nick. It's such a shame that Leanne is getting all hit up about this dog shit storyline because she's putting so much effort into it, so much effort into being worried and being frantic and the storyline really just does not deserve it. It really doesn't. Meanwhile, Spider has driven to the waste ground where Toy has been held. He bursts into the van, but he's just undone Toya's legs when Maggie appears at his back and tells him tells her to get out of the van. There then follows a really horrible piece of exposition between Maggie and Spider as they both try to convince the audience that this unknown woman and her previously unmentioned husband are behind all this rather than the racist group, which would at least make some sense. Yes. Spider kneels, thus giving Maggie a clearer shot at Toya. Or, or like what I suggested last week, disgruntled left-wing environmentalists who are offended by... By Spider becoming a cop. Right. Anything but this. <laughs> Literally. Anything but this. Literally. Maggie says she wants Spider to feel the pain she felt when her husband, what's his name, was killed. Something she blames on Spider because reasons. She turns the gun toward Toya. Spider apologises. Toya says she loves him. And this throws Spider into action. And with a gun pointed at him, he taunts Maggie calling her husband a scumbag drug dealer, and he's glad that he's dead. You're a monster, she shouts. And I don't deny it, says Spider. Ooh. They struggle. Toya runs, kind of, and then the gun goes off and Spider falls to the ground. Right, well, Toya runs in a very funny manner because her hands are still tied. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) Maggie didn't mean to do that. Please, please untie me, says Toya, but Maggie wants to think instead of killing Toya like she planned to do. Toya starts to make it sound like she's on Maggie's side and says that she's Maggie's witness, but Maggie doesn't need no witnesses and she points the gun at Toya again. Toya runs, there's another gunshot, and this time we see Maggie on the ground and Spider standing over her and no one really explains what just happened. No! (laughs) He makes sure that Toya's not shot and then calls it in. Spider was wearing plot armour. Correct. But, so who got shot the second time then? She's got a head injury, this Maggie person. Yeah, and yet later on, we see her walking (laughs) with no blood on her, 
with handcuffs and she's walking fine. She's capable of walking with a head wound. Well, we know how the show treats head wounds. So. Oh, yes, we do. Maybe head wound of the week. Yes. But which one? Is it Maggie's head wound? Toya's head wound? Not not spiders, because he wasn't wounded in his head. No. He was wounded in his heart. The little, <laughs> little police cars, ambulances, and I heard a couple of helicopters at the scene. And also Craig Tinker. And there's also a DS Swain. <laughs> Woohoo! DS Swain congratulates Mrs. Habibo on managing to keep this one alive. Swain out. Yeah. <laughs> Why she wasn't in any of the other cop scenes this week. And yes, oh, she, is, she crops up a little later. There are other cop scenes this week, all of which have one Mr. Craig Tinker. That's DC Tinker to you. <laughs> Never. Yeah. I'm like Jean-Michel Jarre here hitting these buttons. Toya's in accident and emergency, but just for a checkup. She's fine and ready to go home. Leanne comes in, still all guns ablazing at Spider. Toya reminds her that she wasn't responsible for Harvey, so Spider wasn't responsible for this woman whose name we've already forgotten. Maggie. Spider, though, thinks he needs to consider his future in the police. Hmm, says Toya. Hmm. Back at the flat. Nick is on the verge of tears. He's sorry, but he explains to Toy and Spider that his number one priority has to be Sam, and this is the second time shit like this has happened. He doesn't think Toy and Spider should stay there while their potential stupid no, kidnapping no, no, threads. Just Spider. Oh well. Spider understands, but Toya says it doesn't matter because Spider's thinking of quitting the police. Eh? says Spider. <laughs> this is news to him. So Spider says he makes the world a better and safer place, and he can't turn his back on all the innocent lives that depend on him keeping these dirty streets clean. He doesn't know why she agreed to marry him, if she doesn't know this about him already. I was kidnapped briefly, says Toya. She asks him to choose between his job and her. Toya thinks the decision should be simple, but he says it's not like he's stacking shelves or something. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the Toya. So she she chooses for him. You're dumped. He asks her to reconsider, but she says she needs to be with someone who puts her first, front and centre, exclusively. Spider thought this was a second chance at happiness. She says it was, and then he leaves. On Wednesday, in the flat, Leanne is fussing over Toy, who doesn't want to be fussed over. There's been no contact from Spider, which makes Toy realise that she never really meant that much to him if yesterday was the last conversation she and him would have. Later, Leanne arranges to meet Spider in the community garden, and she tells him that she's worried about Toya and worried about him leaving. Spider can't quit the police, though, and Leanne sees the similarities between him and Toya. She asks him, though, to speak. She asks him, though, to speak to her before he goes. She claims that she spent the last year helping her sister get over Rimran. Really? Did she? And she doesn't want to spend another year helping her get over Spider. Which is completely different because Spider's not dead. And Toya hasn't killed killed him. Leanne goes home and wonders if Toya's heard anything from Spider, who, after all, has a ton of shit left at the flat. She hasn't. But then she gets a text and suddenly Toya is very suspicious that Leanne has set her up. Toya doesn't know if she's happy to see Spider when he arrives. She's gathered his things 
and gives him her ring back, but not, not like, like that. that. So the two of them wander to the tram station where Spider's going to catch a tram to Dan Seth. This is it. And although he doesn't want to leave, he knows that he has to. She understands. He gives her a silver spider to remember him by. Next time you decide to hijack a bin lorry, call me first, he says. I miss you, she says. I miss you too, he says. And then she just walks away, leaving him to catch his tram away from Coronation Street. And that's unbelievably the end of that story. Shortest engagement ever? Pretty short. Pretty, pretty damn short. Pretty What's short. the point of them even getting engaged if going this from, is the end point? Going from I love you to I'm going to miss you. Yeah. See you later. Should we go then? Bye. <sighs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> this whole storyline. But particularly Monday. It's I dog mean, shit. Utter dog shit. <laughs> it was just... This kidnapping was shorter than the length it took Alia to recover from being bombed. But isn't this just another example of someone getting bundled out of that block of flats and thrown into a getaway vehicle and driven off in broad daylight? And nobody noticed. And nobody sees it and nobody follows them and nobody reports it. It is shocking the thing that happens later on in the street in broad daylight. It's shocking that anyone noticed. Yeah. But there was mention of CCTV. Yes. At least it's something that happens in another storyline coming right. up. Oh, it felt very much like they realised that Martin Hancock's contract was going to be up. They hadn't done anything to prepare for it. So let's just write a quick two or three episode storyline to get rid of him. Why not keep him on? I thought people liked Spider. I didn't mind him. I loved Spider. Yeah. And it made sense for them to be together. You know, it was maybe a little too soon. But, I mean, everything was pretty terrible this week, wasn't it? Well, Monday in particular. I think it got better on Wednesday, but... She was just kidnapped, and she's already free, and she's already broken the engagement that she just made last week. I don't really mind the fact that she was kidnapped, and I don't really mind the fact that they were engaged last week. What I really took exception to was the way that the storyline was um, was portrayed, and the the lines that they were given, especially Maggie. Maggie's lines were just honking, all just stinking up the entire the entire episode. Just sitting watching and thinking, really? This feels like something that high school kids would put together in a in an A V club or something like that. It was it was just so poorly written. Nobody could make that shine. You could have Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro in that scene and it would still be terrible. It makes me, it makes me even more angry at racist Kelly because how on earth did she believe that she was a journalist? <laughs> right. But then that, you know, I don't think normally that writers write lines like that, which makes me think that it really was just so rushed. Yeah. It felt really rushed. Yeah. It's so dumb. And Spider's little soliloquy as he's marching towards her and kind of threatening her to right. shoot me, shoot me, sort of thing. Right. Well, it <sighs> was it was that it was that thing where he knows deep down she doesn't want to shoot anybody or she's incapable of shooting anybody. Well that backfired so because that, she did. 
So that with him, like, well, did she or did, like, her finger on the trigger slip because did, he was wrestling with did her? Did Spider get shot? Yes, but I don't well, think it was intentional. No further, questions, no further questions. I think they were wrestling for the gun and it went off. Well, it went off twice. And I still don't know where the second bullet went. I'm not even, I'm not even thinking about that second time because that second time was bullshit. No more guns in Coronation Street until y'all figure out how guns are used. <laughs> and then the way that they had Spider leave just in a couple of scenes on Wednesday, just there you go at the tram station. Right, your, not even a black cab. With your bag that supposedly is a ton of stuff that you left at the flat, and then that's all that gone, and that's him. And there wasn't even a little bit where he... It does a little bit to camera afterwards to say, well, that's my time finished at Coronation Street. I want to thank everyone who's worked with me. This has been a great comeback and all that sort of stuff. There was none of that. And it's, it's just so by the end of Wednesday, people were like, well, that is that it? Is, is that, that it? gone now? That's it. And that's it. And that's it. There's not even, you know, when a lot of other characters leave the show. This is exactly what I'm saying. The Twitter. The, the Coronation Street Twitter it's will have like a video exactly of the I mean. person saying goodbye and how much they enjoyed their time on the show. Yeah, that's just what I said. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And no black cab. And no black cab. And no nothing. It's like, it, it it's like there was... She didn't even watch him go. No. <laughs> she was off. Right. I've got a veggie lasagna to get to. Right. Yeah. You know, they made this huge deal, huge deal about him coming back. And oh, this is going to be great and, and everything else. And it's such a big deal for old characters to come back. Well, and it's then, fucking standards. Meh, but then again, then again, Wendy, who we were just talking about. Wendy Fleming Crozier, just in and out. Yeah, just in and out. Not like that. And, uh, and what's her name? Harvey's aunt. Oh, Sharon. Yeah, Sharon was in and out as well. And they made a big deal about her coming back on the show as well. And then they made her stupid. Yeah, do decent things with these characters. I've enjoyed Spider's latest stint. I would have quite happily had them for a little bit longer. It's like they do this just just for the just for the razzle dazzle. And then they get to a point where they haven't really thought beyond the razzle dazzle. So they don't know what to do with the characters. So then they just write them off. I wondered if we were going to get to the point where Toya goes off with them to right. to London. Which would have made sense. And I would have hated it because I love Toya. And, right. And I think we've made it kind of clear how much we love Toya and Georgia. And, but if she'd left with them, because what's, what's keeping her here exactly? Well, because she doesn't she, have a job. Because she doesn't want to be kidnapped again, apparently. Well, sure. I mean, she doesn't want to be married to a cop right. because then she'll get kidnapped every other week. Because that's what happens. But that's only what she thinks this week. Right. Because remember last week, last week, she had this whole conversation about how this made her nervous. Before she was even kidnapped. About how it made her nervous to have a long time commitment to him because of because of his job and how dangerous it is. And how often he has to go off undercover and all this other stuff. And then she got engaged to him anyway. Mm-hmm. And then she had this huge reminder of what that's like because she was kidnapped somehow. And then she's like, nope, never mind. I was right the first time. This is bullshit. 
She got some training in for the school sports day when the parents turn up in the little race where you're having to race against other parents with your hands tied behind your back. She at least got some practice in for that. Yeah, she'll never have kids though. Oh, too soon, Helen, too soon. <laughs> well, it's a farewell to Spider then. We, we barely knew you this time. Moving on, our next storyline is The Business Graduate. On Monday, Amy turns up to Debs for work. She's 11 minutes late and Addy insists that she calls him Mr. Allahan while they're at work. Womp womp, Addy's only kidding. And he gets ready to show her the ropes, but Dev has some other plans. He does get a little boner though when she calls him Mr. Allahan. (laughs) Asha will show Amy the ropes. Addy's golfing skills are acquired at an important meeting with Darren, a big cheese in the off-license trade, which Dev has his eyes on getting a slice off. Mm. And the B-show turns out that Addy wiped the floor with Darren. Darren is obviously impressed with Addy, wondering if his sporting acumen is in line with his business. Dev whispers to Addy to turn up the charm, and Addy tells Dev that his sucking up to Darren is cringe. Yes. During the conversation, Darren is constantly more impressed with Addy than he is with Dev. Dev wants to invest in Darren's big new deal with Freshco's, but Darren doesn't think he has the capital. Darren is looking for a right-hand man while he works on this deal, so he offers Addy the gig. And despite not knowing anything about pay, benefits, vacation time or working hours, Addy accepts. Darren fucks off after paying for lunch and Dev is super impressed. Addy is working for the big boys now. In the pub, Addy, Nina and Asha are chatting about his new job opportunity. Dev comes in and gets them around, but puts Addy on tap water. Tomorrow is make or break for them. Dev is planning on mortgaging all the businesses to get in on Darren's deal. Uh-oh. Addy's mission is to be Darren's main man and talk Dev up. What could possibly go wrong? Seriously. Remember, Dev, you're still paying to keep nudes off Asha off the internet. Correct. On Wednesday, Addy is suited and booted, ready for his first day with Darren. He asks Amy if she wants to go for a drink, but she has a charity night for her volunteer thing tonight, so invites him along to that instead, and he accepts. Eileen and George correctly suspect that Addy is all moist for Amy. Later, Addy is driving Darren's flash motor, it's a Tesla. It is a Tesla. Darren is on the phone on a high-powered call and tells Addy to get him a table at the bistro while ignoring Dev's shouts for a chat about investments. Addy tells Dev that he tries to bring up the Freshco's deal, but Darren doesn't want to hear it. Dev tells him to stick at it. <sighs> so the bistro, Addy tries to bring up his dad's investment thing again, but Darren still really doesn't want to speak about it and now would rather that Addy give his wife a ride home. Do that. But not like that. Well, do that <laughs> and we can talk about Dev's stupid investment shite tomorrow. So, Addy is sitting in a new part of town waiting for Darren's wife and is warning Amy that he's going to be late when his wife, Courtney Boobs, gets in the car. <laughs> How long have you been waiting? Not long, says Addy. Really? She says. Well, 47 minutes. He tells <laughs> her that he'll drive her home, but she first wants to get a kebab. And not like that. Yet. So Addy takes her to the Donner Palace and Courtney Boobs is well impressed. She talks like Crystal, but I can understand her a bit better. They share a few chips and Courtney seems like she's a fun gal. Addy and gets so do home. her boobs. Addy gets home and is immediately quizzed by Dev about the deal at Freshco's. He explains that he was just ferrying Courtney Boobs around and at that he gets a text from her thanking him for the kebab. Asha comes in saying how awesome the chart event was that Addy missed. Haha. <laughs> so on Friday... Dev is making a synapse friendly breakfast for Addy ahead of his day with Darren. He needs to be on his best game and Dev doesn't want to miss the boat. He encourages Addy to drop hints on his improved financial status. 
because the mortgage things have gone through already. Apparently. Andy isn't sure why Dev doesn't just set up a meeting, but Dev, he no work that way. He needs to be wooed, and he needs Darren to think that this was all his idea. So Darren is back in the bistro with Addy. Courtney and her boobs come in as Addy is trying to carefully bum up his dad, but not like that. Darren needs Addy to drive Courtney about again, which disappoints Addy as he thought he'd be attending meetings and doing business things. He'll be doing business things all right. Aye. <laughs> Courtney Boobs has brought her milkshakes to the yard. <coughs> Addy is still pissed about not getting business experience and making the contribution. She literally has brought milkshakes to the car. Well, just one milkshake yeah. for Addy. And he makes a comment about how it's appropriate because her husband also treats him like a kid. Turns out Courtney has an MBA too and is shooting high in the business sky, like making love in a Turkish phone booth. She wants to hear Addy's ideas. Uh-oh. So Courtney and Addy get back to Darren's office. She's heard on the grapevine that Fresh goes are looking for a bidder that has grocery experience. Addy pipes up about Dev. Darren is more interested in a consultant, but Addy mentions how Dev is flush again and is probably a better source of advice if he has skin in the game. Right. Darren gets Addy to set up that meeting. Woohoo! So the meeting is set up at the Rovers. Because of course it is. Between Dev, Addy, Darren and Courtney Boobs. Darren is on the zero. He's a non-alcoholic alcoholic. He's an arsehole. Yes. In the meeting, Darren is still more impressed with Addy than Dev. Addy tells Darren where he's been going wrong with his units earlier because of poor parking outside. Addy says the casual punter needs drop-off collection. And Darren is super impressed with the stupid idea and brings Dev in on the Fresh Goes Deal thing after all. Right, and Dev freaks out a little bit at Addy, you know, telling this guy what he's doing wrong. And mm -hmm. it's like, Dev, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Yes. After the meeting, Dev is proud of Addy, thinking that he conducted the meeting like a pro. Amy and Asha come in to share in the celebrating, but Addy is called away to Darren's office on urgent business. Bring your own milkshake. He grabs his file of numbers and papers and rushes off. But at Darren's office, it's Courtney who's there. Uh-oh. Darren has gone home. Uh-oh. She, she sees what she likes, and she likes what she sees, and she makes it quite clear that she's gagging for a hole. Mrs. Boobs, says Addy, you're trying to seduce me. And the two of them winch like there's no tomorrow, Addy dropping his numbers on the floor. Mm -hmm. But not like that. Well, maybe like that. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I mean, we don't... He, he doesn't have an awful lot of experience. He's only had sex once with Kelly. So oh, he's probably right. dropping numbers on the floor. Let's be honest. One or two. Well, maybe he had a wank before he went out. <laughs> oh, for Pete's sake. What is going on here? Get, get away from him. Quite get a job. I'm quite amused by this so far. Really? Yeah, I you, think so. you're really You're really impressed by Addy getting assaulted by a grown woman? I don't think I'm impressed by it, but it's amusing me. And it did cross my mind as we were watching it, as I am apt to do more now than ever, Right. of how would we be feeling about this if... It was the other way around. Yes, if it and was a man and Asha. And, and we we'd would be not grossed be, out. And yeah. I am... And I am grossed out now. This is gross. Because... Yeah, I guess. I was just... Be it's been portrayed as... And this is a problem. This is a problem. That it's been portrayed as light-hearted. I think. Eh. And it's... And is it's it? not. Is it? Well, the way that they have Courtney been all boobs and legs. Right, yeah. She's 
very much the vamp. She and has all boobs and legs, but she loves a kebab. And also, yeah, and she chews like Gemma. Mm-hmm. And this is also very problematic. <laughs> yeah. Everything about this story is problematic. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it, yeah. It's, it's, you're making a good point. It, it's, Thank it's, you. It's, 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 it's icky. It best. is very icky. It Especially was, when there's lovely, lovely Amy is right there. Right. Well, we don't want Amy to get into a romantic relationship just yet. Not after necessarily. After the trauma but, she's been through. But a friendship between her and Addie would be perfectly acceptable. They're already friends. A, a better friendship then. <laughs> Maybe a, some, somewhere in the middle. Because we do want to see them solving crimes. And, uh, and adopting a great dame, yes. Mm-hmm. And buying a van. I, and this is the thing that concerns me. It kind of feels like the person who's going to be most traumatized by this story is going to be Amy somehow. <laughs> yes. This is somehow going to backfire on Amy. <laughs> right. Because it always does. It's, it's difficult because, to see how at the moment, but it's definitely going to do Well, that. it's because she's going to catch wise that he has feelings for her. She's going to realize she has feelings for him. And then she's going to find out that, no, actually, he prefers bonking his boss's wife because mm-hmm. she's older with more experience and fake boobs. Presumably, we're going to have some issues coming up where Dev has invested so much into this with Darren. Darren finds out about his wife and Addie and is going to spell kind of financial disaster and possible ruination for for dev he's going to be destroyed by Addie's penis right yeah when instead maybe he should be paying people fair wages so that they don't have to set up illegal daycares in their homes <laughs> yes and also given Addie the the opportunities that he promised right yeah because he was going to make a manager Right. And being manager seemed to be given Evelyn her performance uh, review for a year. Right. Which, and which hiring Amy. Which wasn't responsibility. It was getting rid of responsibility from, from Dev's point of view. Yes. Yes, very much so. And he seemed fine. And Addie seemed fine with it. But again, it's, it's this whole... Uh, it's this dismissive way that the show deals with people's financial situations which we which we talked about with Gemma and, and Chesney but here we are doing it now for Dev who has had such been in such deep financial straits right thanks to Asher's R- nudes being on the internet correct and the money that he's been pushing into that that every now and again he's reminded us of right. has still been a thing and something that he's probably going to have to be paying forever right yes he but now have- he has this money to invest in a and a string of off-licenses that are taken over Freshco's, if, if I'm understanding it correctly. Right, but then again, let's remember, he was skint because of the Asha nudes and didn't have enough money for lots of things and kept telling the kids that he was too skint to do things for them. And then he buys Addy a car, which then promptly gets de- destroyed. destroyed. Which we had a little callback to right. this week where the last time Addy drove a car, Right. Didn't end so well. No. I think they've portrayed Darren to be such an asshole that you're kind of glad that his wife's doing this behind his back. Right. But, but yeah, he needs to be leaving her Addy alone. Or yes. she needs to be leaving her Addy alone. Yes. Yes. Leave yep. him alone. Stay away from him. 
does Amy, you think, have even any inkling that Andy feels this way about her? I think lots. Yeah, I think she's very much Mary in the situation. You know, we've been friends for so long. I can't possibly think of you in that way sort mm-hmm. of thing. But the fact that everybody else has noticed it, in, including Eileen and the undertaker across the street, it won't be long before she catches wise. And like I said, the person who's going to get hurt most by this storyline is Amy. It's going to be Amy. Yep. <sighs> Let's look forward to that then. Let's move on to our next storyline. Please. It is a Brexit. On Monday, Brian and Isabella are back from wherever it was they were. He goes off to catch up with Rita at the cabin just to get away from Isabella, who's under the impression that he enjoyed his vacation so much that he didn't want to come home. In the pub, Mary quizzes Brian about as a Brexit, assuming that it's all been called off, but instead Brian is on the verge of faking his own death just to get away from his cousin <laughs> and had planned a pedalo accident at the caravan park. Something like uh, what Gail had with Lorraine Kelly a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. Mary tells Brian to grow up here and be honest with Isabella, but then Isabella comes in and Brian immediately pretends that everything is rosy again. At the florist, Isabella's buying flowers from Mary. Mary's surprised that Brian hasn't had that open and frank conversation with her yet. Isabella has her sights set on another hiking holiday. And in the pub, Mary thinks Brian is a bottle merchant. He is careful for Isabella's feelings, but promises to have a word with her when the time is right. On Wednesday, Isabella is in Nina's roles and generally just pissing people off. They just made her this horrible, horrible character. Rita comes in furious that Brian is back, but still not helping out at the cabin. Brian apologises, but Isabella tells Rita that this is a fuss about nothing, and she grabs the keys to go and take care of the newsagent herself. Brian demands two of the quickest sandwiches Shona can make, so he can rush back to avert disaster. When Brian gets to the cabin, World War III is about to break out between Isabella and Mary because she ordered pear drops and imperial measurements. Brian apologises on Isabella's behalf, but Mary is too upset, and Rita, from this, knows that Brian has feelings for Mary, and he admits to it. Later, Isabella catches Brian on the phone to her builders, offering to bribe them to hurry up and finish the renovations. Isabella is crushed that Brian is doing his best to get rid of her. They go to the rovers so that they can have this argument in public. She wants the truth, that he wants her to go, and he admits that this might be for the best. She bursts into Italian tears. Brian is the only friend or family she has. She's lonely. Well, go fuck off and be lonely in Italy, says Brian. He doesn't quite say that. It's kind of amazing that she's not self-aware, isn't it? That, oh, maybe you don't have any friends because you're a horrible, horrible person. If this is how horrible she is to people in a second language. Right. Imagine how horrible she is in her native tongue. Exactly. Brian thinks that she's been here for long enough and says that he doesn't hate her. Then Mary comes in and does Brian's dirty work for him. She tells Isabella that she and Brian are in love and Brian wants her to leave so he and Mary can be together. Their love was once secret, but now it is in full bloom, so Isabella really does need to fuck off now. And this seems to calm Isabella, so Brian tells her that there are plenty of flights back to Italy today and tomorrow, but he will let her stay until tomorrow. Mm. Mary and Brian go back to Eileen's. Eileen and George already have plans for her room now that Mary's moving out. They're going to turn it into an office or a games room or something. And they're both crushed when Mary explains that the relationship was a mere ruse to get shot of Isabella. George, you have a whole empty house! So they'll just have to build their office in George's massive empty house. (laughs) On Friday, 
that's Isabella off getting a taxi to Naples. Avanti shoots Mary, and that's the end of that. So the horrible Italian cousin gets a taxi. <laughs> not a not black taxi, though. But not Spider. Isabella was just put into a streetcar's cab, I think. Brian is low. Still. Fearing that he's, been, that he's made a fool of himself. Mary has heard this story before and tells him not to beat himself up about it. Or if he is going to do that, do it quietly. She thinks that he's kind and clever and decent. A top friend, in fact. And she keeps on making this... She keeps on saying this, saying that he's a good friend. He's always been a good friend. Just really playing on the friend thing for him. Brian meets up with Mary in the pub later to give her a gift from his travels. He tries to tell her how he feels, but every time he tries to take it further, she reminds him of how good friends they are. They get distracted to the show Friends, which Mary has never seen, and she prefers How I Met Your Mother, the first season of which is available on DVD in Weatherfield Jail. <laughs> Mary leaves after a drink, thanking Brian for his gift, which she says she will treasure from a true friend. Yeah, it's a magnet of Stonehenge. Brian. And Mary believes in aliens, which, you know, sure. so do I. Brian sits and drowns his sorrows in half pints, Gemma realising that he has feelings for Mary. Slowly but surely, it seems everyone is coming round to this idea. And then Rita comes in and urges Brian to tell Mary how he feels. But he thinks Mary has made her feelings quite clear. Brian is in the friend zone, giving snipers their dreams. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I hate the term friend zone. So dumb. Anyway, that's Isabella gone. We barely knew her. Point of that being to noise up Mary a bit. And to realise that Brian loves Mary, which he already kind of knew before this whole thing happened. It's really too bad, though, because we all know Mary loves dick. She does. Mary loves dick. Mary loves dick. It's dick. I can't do that with my tongue. It's not your tongue. It's the... Well, that must be the problem. Yeah. (laughs) That's your problem. Yeah, it's... I mean, we all enjoyed Brian doing his Ancestry.com thing. Did we? Months ago. No, of course we didn't. But <laughs> it, it was a, it was yet another excuse for Brian to be pompous. And I kind of, I'm an old school guy. I kind of like Brian being pompous. Mm-hmm. You made the point last time. I was like, Isn't, can we not just have Brian being nice? Maybe maybe that would be better. But right. Brian being pompous. Because he is nice sometimes. Does have... Because he's always setting himself up for a fall, as pride goes before it, right. obviously. But it, I just feel like it's been extended for long enough right. to become something more than that. Right. But it doesn't seem to have been that. Yeah, yeah. It's not the pompousness of characters like Ken and Daniel. It's... Pompousness is to Brian what stupidity is to Kurt. It's just something. It's just something that that walks through every now and again, mm-hmm. and that's not really fair to Brian, and it's not fair to us who are forced <laughs> to watch it. And like the whole Isabella thing, because we're like, oh, oh, she's trying to scam him. She's going to be a con woman. Oh, something's going to happen. And then, and then it doesn't, and she's just a horrible person. She's just a cow. That's what it was. But she's so inconsistently a horrible person because she's very, she's so rarely on the show. You know, this isn't a consistent storyline. And how do Italians feel about being presented this way? That's what I want to know. She is 
textbook Italian, isn't it? She, she's on a Vespa just driving around the cobbles saying ciao to people. But she's not saying ciao. She's telling people their coffee are horrible. is horrible and that they are all cows munching on something hmm. and getting offended by the imperial system. I, uh, I don't know. Why if she Brian were French, not- I would understand. <laughs> why did Brian not... Sorry, French Helen. Why <laughs> The only good French person. Why did... Why did Brian not pull it to one side and 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 talk to her? Because it's kind of like it's easy come easy go at this point, isn't it? It's like you've you've met your long distant cousin. Fine, if your long distant cousin has been an asshole to your friends, you if just, even Rita hates her, yeah, you, you got to say something to her. Maybe you want to tone it down and be a little bit more pleasant to these people. These are my friends. I've got to live with them after you leave. Right. He's far more invested in his relationships with the people on the street than with this long-lost cousin who he barely knows or, or so you would think but not the way that he's been reacting because he's a bottle merchant but i don't know yeah what's he got to lose here somebody that he barely knows right i guess he doesn't exactly have an awful lot of family either and remember he's got more scottish in them than he's got italian correct i'm sure he's got scottish cousins who would be lovely yeah well that's her She's gone. Yeah. I don't think she's going to be darkening her doors again. No. Farewell, Isabella. We barely knew you. And Correct. it was too much as it was. Yes. And offensive to Italian people. Well, let's not get offended on Italian people's behalf. Sure. Moving on. Our next storyline is Mad Max 3, Very Bad Decisions. <laughs> on Monday, in Nina's roles, Max begs Shona to be nice to racist Kelly, but after Leanne comes in from another storyline to shout at racist Kelly for a bit for tipping off that stranger where Toya lives, Shona's mind is made up. Racist Kelly is a waster. I mean, the clue's in the name. Mm. So racist Kelly goes back to number eight to pack her things, which I presume are um, a collection of crop tops. <laughs> And ponytail holders. Claiming that the only reason she told that stranger about Toy's address was because she said she would help her dad. Max is sympathetic, but doesn't think it's a great idea staying in contact with her dad. And when her dad calls, Max tells her to ignore it. But racist Kelly speaks to him anyway. Turns out her dad wants her there for his sentence, and then she's agreed. She's all he has. He's all alone. And Max tells her that if she goes to the sentencing, she'll be all alone too. Back at number eight, racist Kelly has told her dad that she's not going to the sentencing tomorrow. Max is sorry, but thinks that she's made the right decision and she agrees and they hug. She realises her dad is the reason her life is shit, but at least she has Max. At number eight, Gail is complaining that racist Kelly is hogging the shower. And any time Gail complains about something, someone always says, Yeah, all right, Gail. It's ridiculous. (laughs) And then they laugh at her. They laugh. They think it's hilarious that racist Kelly used all the hot water. She's got a perfectly reasonable complaint here. Yes. Yeah, all right then, Gail. Fucking hell. Yeah. Everybody always treats her that way. In the other roles, racist Kelly and Max are having coffees when Max gets a text letting them know that racist Kelly's dad got sent down for 18 years. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot for something where nobody died. Right. Yeah. Even... I mean... Alia got blown up a wee bit, but nobody died. And Max got blown up a wee bit. And then and then, uh, then, then Alia got stabbed. But nobody died. Racist Kelly that nips, we know of. Racist Kelly nips off for a shite. And it must be a big 10 punner because when she comes back out an hour later, she's furious that Max didn't make a statement and stop her dad from, from going to prison and stop her from going to the court. 
It's not fair that my racist dad is in prison, she literally says, and right. she runs off. My my dad did a terrorism. She's like one of those January six widows who are who find it so unfair that their husbands have been taken down for, you know, insurrection. <laughs> and so now they have to get jobs. Back at number eight, racist Kelly has <laughs> calmed down. Max apologizes, but he couldn't lie for her dad. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She has no one in the world and thinks that she'll never see her dad again outside of designated visit hours. Right, yeah, she seems to forget that that's a thing. Max promises that he's here for her. And I'm like, all the while I'm watching this, I'm thinking, why why are we caring about this when we've got a perfectly nice Sabrina who has been in and out? Right. We've got Gav who, has he found Beck? I need to know this. And the longer that we go with Without seeing them, I start to worry if we're ever going to see them. Right. Beck seems to be the new the new anorak. <laughs> yeah. A storyline that we completely forget about. Maybe well, not. we never forget we've never forgot about it. That seems to go away for months and then all of a sudden it's resolved thanks to Yasmin. So Yasmin is Beck? That's what we're saying? Yasmin's going to find Beck oh. and wear her like an anorak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but seriously, it, it makes me so angry because it does kind of seem like the show only used Sabrina and Gav to, to make get Max us, back to, with to make, Kelly. Right, to, and to, give, to make us feel sympathetic towards Max only for him to get back together with racist Kelly. He's making terrible decisions this week. And Shona also bites hook, line, and sinker by the end. Mm -hmm. Oh, she hates racist Kelly at the start. And right. Then and she now has she to be told by Max to call Kanye with her. Right. And then she does by the end of it. Right. Because, why? Because her dad's inside for 18 years? Why are we feeling sympathy for her now? I guess. But she's still, she's still at the very end, is doing a bad thing by blaming Max for not lying under oath. Yeah. She still doesn't understand that her dad's a bad guy. But then Max is having to lay down the law and, to, and say, kind of, I forbid you from going to your father's sentencing. And if he's having to hear himself say that, Maybe he should be getting, here's your crop tops, here's the door, please leave and never come back. If I'm having to say, I forbid you from going to your father's sentencing or you need to leave, maybe just make her leave. There's, I mean, the fact that he's telling her to do this isn't great anyway. No. She can make up her own mind about whether right. something is the right thing to do or not. And if she does that, then you know where... Her loyalties lie. Right. And you can make decisions based on that. But Correct. Try to boss her about here. Yeah. Because he's given her some place to live, I guess. Right. That's a key. And and also, you know, because he's the good guy now. He's learned from his racism and he's turned a new leaf. Yeah, because that was six so months he's ago. The, so he's the moral police now. He's the he's the knight he's the white knight here, you know, leading the way for other people who've been manipulated into racism, showing them the way 
to to a better life. This is a tightrope that the show was watching with this storyline. Right, yeah. And they have fallen over on the wrong side. They fell over anyway by giving them a really short sentence. They fell over again by them getting out early. And now they're having to do this thing, like you said, of we have to be on Max's side now. Right. And And I'm not not comfortable being on Max's side now. And, you know, when you think about it, Max did more terrorism than Racist Kelly's dad did because he made those videos. Yeah. Which, you know, inspired stabbing. Dad made a bomb, though. Did he? Was he the guy who made the bomb? He was there. Right. <laughs> Doesn't mean he made it. He was there. So was Ma- But then again, yeah. so was Max. Being there is not nothing. Right. But so was Max. And Max got less than a year. And Racist Kelly's dad gets 18 years. Mm-hmm. Make it make sense. <laughs> if Griff gets off with like five years... Then Racist Kelly has something to complain about. And I know that they've made a little point of this a couple of times, but it's starting to it's starting to smell ridiculously true that let's have Max have a brief thing with a black girl to prove that Max isn't racist anymore. Right, yeah. And have a black best friend. This is the this is the call, isn't it? I can't be racist because I have a black friend. Yeah. When that's not how that works. No. <laughs> Ugh, moving on. Gross. Our next storyline, just a few scenes for panic at the lawyer's office. Or, not the bees! <laughs> not the bees? When, when, when Adam has his panic attack, there's a buzzing sound. Oh, yes. On Friday, Sarah has booked an appointment for a 12-week scan and is disappointed when Adam wants to do a blood test to do a gender reveal and stock up on nursery paint. That's not how that works. He excitedly fingers his wallet where our family photo should go. At a lot of his later, Adam is on a call with one of his clients who congratulates him on his impending fatherhood. But how then, how did this guy find out? Oh, he just he just found out. Yeah, somehow. And then starts telling me, "Oh well, that's all the sleepless nights and right. all the worrying, and that's going to start for the next eighteen years." Right. And comes another client, but all that father chat has triggered a bit of another panic attack in Adam. And he collapses into his multifunction printer and scanner. And avoids the bees that are buzzing around him invisibly while it, he has a panic attack and the camera goes in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. It was very reminiscent not like that. of uh, Chuck from Better Call Saul when he was exposed to things that are electronic. An hour later, Daniel comes into the office. Which was all psychosomatic, wasn't it? Yes. Adam's client has long gone. Poor Colin Bud will be seeking legal representation somewhere else. Yeah. And that's all that happens there. Again, that's just the Friday scene to set up something that's going to happen next week where presumably... Adam's going to find out he's not the daddy. Well, do we think so? Yes. Because why else would they be having a blood test? I don't know if we've got our our mileage of drama out of this yet. Because if we have, then maybe, maybe it is Adam's. But is the blood test is the blood test the blood test is going to tell us male or female, it's not going to tell us who the dad is. What blood test what what blood test determines gender? Fictional blood tests. (laughs) Like the one that we're talking about. Because if men and women had different blood, then you couldn't do a blood transfusion. I don't think that's how that works. There may be differences in, in the blood types, but they're still 
compatible. Yes, in blood types. But men and women don't have different blood types. What is going on here? Well, they said it with enough <laughs> conviction. Sure. I'm I'm happy to go along with it. And the baby <clears throat> is the ba- the baby is still because everybody everybody starts out basically genderless or both gendered. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, either it gets really tiny and becomes a clitoris or it gets slightly bigger and becomes a penis. Mm. So, at this point it's Sarah's pregnancy. From Dr. Brim here. At this point it's Sarah's pregnancy. They can't really determine gender. Well, the show says it can't. <laughs> well, maybe there have been advancements in uh, looking at people's blood. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, later on we're going to see someone come out of brain surgery without a bandage. So who knows what medical science is capable of these days? He does have a little scar. Yeah, that's where it hurt his head. Right. But we'll and talk about that later. So you think it's still going to be Damon's? I mean, it literally is 50-50 at this point, isn't it? But does Wait. Sarah know? No, Sarah doesn't know. Sarah no, because she ripped it up without opening it. And but Dee, I think Dee Dee she knows because Dee Dee was in the bin waiting for the um, the envelope Would you to be thrown leave out. poor Dee Dee alone? This is probably why she's not on the show this week. You've run her off. Mm-hmm. Shame on you. I just feel like if it's Adams, where's the drama? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just going to make him happy or unhappy because right now it kind of seems like even if he is the daddy he doesn't really want this kid here's what i don't like about this and i mentioned kind of joking kind of not right i've been feeling kind of anxious today yes and anxious for a reason yes and i think that's why the panic attack hasn't really happened right because in my experience and i keep on saying this and i know that other people's mileage varies right but in my experience there's no reason for having a panic attack and that's becomes what's so scary about it it's like you're not you can avoid all these things that you think are going to trigger it but you're but you still get it Hmm. there's never or maybe not never but it's rare that it's as easy as something stressful happens therefore panic attack happens and that seems to be what's happening with adam here anytime somebody mentions fatherhood it's triggering a panic attack at them and right. it just doesn't feel like i don't and, know. And I, don't, I like how they're trying to do this with with male mental health especially i guess right that they're trying to show this uh i wouldn't say alpha male but right he's a a successful, good-looking man with a, a a good life, having anxiety issues and well, having panic attacks. Let's be honest; he hasn't been an alpha male since a lady pushed him over a ledge. <laughs> That's true, off the mezzanine level of a <laughs> shopping centre. But I, I don't know that they're I don't, I don't know that they're given a an accurate message and you know it's fiction and you let right. them away with, with stuff like know. 12 week bloods and things like I that I mean but. in my experience panic attacks for me tend to occur when I'm in a situation that I don't want to be in but I am forced to be in when there is no escape mm. and for Adam there is no escape the baby's coming whether he likes it or not right 
So it kind of feels like that's that's the the trigger. Not that it happens for a a reason or no reason, but it happens because there is a a lack of control. What I don't like is the fact that they feel like they have to do all these stupid special effects to portray a panic attack. Oh, sure. That's that's the thing because like I said, I may have mentioned they upped it a notch from last week where mm. it was just camera tricks. Now it's a buzzing sound. We've got some bees. Yes. Wasn't there bees last week? I don't think there were bees last week. I, I did not see I did not see Nicolas Cage or a burning man, so Well, that's usually the first thing. That's the first thing you see before the bees. All right. Well, let's move on. We'll see I guess we might see some some clarity in this next week then of of who the daddy is. Maybe. A penultimate storyline tonight is It's gonna be Steve, isn't it? Let's hope so. Is support gripe. On Friday, at the God Flat, Daniel has popped round to say, sorry you're dying, Paul, because the show has remembered that they used to be flatmates. Later, when talking with Billy, Paul confirms that he's off to his M&D support group, which keeps Billy happy. And also, nobody's mentioned Sinead yet this week. <laughs> Billy arrives at the M&D thing and is taken back a little by all the people with M&D and all the wheelchairs, and is nearly run down by Shelley, who's a little bit of a live wire, who says that she would get a bell, but doesn't want to be the old bloke from Breaking Bad. I thought that was hilarious. That was great. Paul bottles it and runs away, but not before he's a little condescending to Shelley by kind of bending, bending down, down. to her, and she says, oh, you don't need to curtsy. Right. Live wire. The thing that I love the most about that is because Peter Ash kind of resembles, oh God, what's his name? Aaron Paul? Yes. No, he doesn't. <laughs> They're both blonde. It looks like Jesse. Yes. They both kind of have squarish chins. They're both blondes. They both have blue eyes. <laughs> they both have terrible fashion sense. You need help. Back at the God House, Paul reports the bad news about the support group to Gemma. She feels guilty about being on antidepressants when Paul is on death's door, but he reckons listening to her problems might give him something else to focus on or push him over the edge, one or the other. <laughs> Later, when Billy gets home, Paul confesses that he didn't go to the support group, but doesn't want to talk about it more than that, just to stretch out the storyline a little bit more. Because over dinner, Paul explains a bit more about his meeting and how he saw his future in the support group and people patronising him the way that he did to Shelley. Billy tells him to take it easy. He'll get the hang of the meetings and speaking to fellow sufferers. There's no rush, says Billy. Isn't there, though? Says Paul. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Right. This is kind of like, almost like I said the other week, where we just get little couple of scenes here or there just to right. remind us that this is still going on. Yeah. And I was really... And they were very they were very clever with, with this storyline this week. And in presenting things, and especially in presenting things without words. And this is, this is the thing that frustrates me with the show, is they can do so many things really thoughtfully and succinctly, and then there are the bees. <laughs> because, you know, we see Paul going into this place. Mm -hmm. We see him take the stairs. Yeah, and at that point I'm thinking... Surely why, they have a ramp. Why has the show given the MND support centre a place that's not wheelchair accessible? Right. Because that's, that's now how I feel about the show after Monday. <laughs> 
you know, we see him walk up and then we see him look to the side mm -hmm. where the ramp is. Yep. And he says nothing. Yep. But everything is said by him insisting upon taking those stairs be while he still can. Mm -hmm. And that says so much about Paul's personality. Yeah, I didn't... It's so brilliant and subtle. I didn't get the idea that he was looking at the, at the ramp thinking... Oh shit! I could have gone up that instead. Right. I think he was looking at the ramp, thinking that's my future way into this right. building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to take the stairs as long as I possibly can. Damn it. Yeah, that's what which, I as well. Which also ties into the way he reacts when he goes inside and meets, or at least sees all these people who are further along mm -hmm. than he is, and he panics. Notice he panics without bees. <laughs> And leaves. Bees you know, and leaves? Bees and That's leaves. two signs of a panic attack. <laughs> Be aware of panic attacks. Bees and leaves. And drink gin. <laughs> no jokes. You know, and there are they're just a lot of other little things, like, like her breathing tube, like the sound that the mm -hmm. door makes mm -hmm. when he goes in and out. You know, the openness of the room and everything. It's just, it's a very well-constructed scene. And um, I'm like, why can't the whole show be like this? The other thing as well was when Shelley says to Paul, are you coming in? And he says, no, I can't. And he rushes off. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of sigh of resignation in Shelley, like this yeah. has happened so many times right. before. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very show-not-tell. Yes, and it's excellent. Yeah. More like this, please. Mm -hmm. It's like they're sitting about thinking, is it show not tell or tell not show? Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. It's one of the two. I'm starting to worry, as I'm sure we're all getting a little bit worried, that there's maybe a kind of euthanasia aspect of this storyline. I had not even considered that, and now you've put it in my head. Damn you. I think they have... They probably want to have more control over how long this lasts, and maybe they don't want to spin it out for three years. And I hope they don't spin it out for three years. No, I don't want to see that. But M and D can kill you a lot faster than it three can. years. It can, yeah. That's not like th you have three years starting from now, right? But he's so he's so down on all of it, and he just can't get it out of his head about the future. You see, Shelley. And Shelley has kind of made her peace with it. Or has made her peace with it outwardly. Right. But Paul is nowhere near that. And, and there's Paul differences is at in the beginning. Story. Sure. Paul is at the beginning. He has not been living with this as long as Shelley has, we assume. Right. So, so there's a difference. So we can get Paul to that point. I don't think Paul is the type of person who would choose euthanasia, especially considering his closeness with Gemma. You don't think I don't Paul think he would do is that the sort to her. of person who looks for a quick fix? Not, not when it involves hurting his family. But I think he sees his decline as hurting his family. I think he's just at a point where he hasn't fully accepted it yet. I think he will get there. Well, we'll see. Hmm. Let's move on to our final storyline tonight, which is Tim's mum about the house. Two 
houses. Nothing funny about this anymore. No. And certainly not this week. No. The the further that we get in at the gaslighting of Tim's mum, the less funny it becomes. Correct. Yes. I never found it funny to begin with. I found it hilarious for a while while he was killing men. Right. On Monday, there's something floating about in Stephen's tea. But we never get to see it. It's a jobby. <laughs> Tim's mum couldn't give a fuck and also hasn't made him sandwiches for lunch. He offers to take her to the bistro, but Tim's mum claims that she's too busy descaling the kettle. Stephen admits to feeling jealous about Jerry and he apologises, so Tim's mum agrees to lunch. But at the factory, Stephen has been working on this year's projections when Carla has announced that she has a new buyer lined up unless he's found some cash down the back of the sofa. Carla suggests that he cancels his lunch plans to meet and schmooze with the possible new guy. Carla warns him, though, not to make any suicide jokes because this guy's mother apparently took her own life recently. Yes. Like, people are, are going to make suicide jokes, right? Well, this is Stephen we're talking about. <laughs> gotcha, says Stephen. And he calls to dingy Tim's mum. But Tim's mum's in Nina's roles and she tells Stephen to suck her balls. When she turns round, though, she sees Audrey. Oh, pig's tits, says Tim's mum. You're probably wondering why I asked Stephen to suck my balls. Audrey asks how she is and then how her depression is. And Tim's mum says, What? What? Back at the flat, Tim's mum and Audrey are having a chinwag. Audrey reveals how worried she is about Tim's mum and how Stephen thinks that she's not quite herself. Tim's mum explains about how Stephen pulled faces at her the other day, which sounds super lame, and Audrey's right. waiting for the punchline. But Tim's mum says that she's having doubts about marrying him now, and she doesn't think he even respects her. Audrey insists that Stephen worships the ground that she walks on. How would Audrey know? And says that she's overthinking things. Stephen is kind and gentle, and has only murdered three people that we know of in the last year. <laughs> the meeting at the factory is interrupted when Audrey, who doesn't work at the factory, just wanders into the factory. Oh God, there's my mum! Stephen takes her to one side while she explains that Tim's mum is depressed. She thinks it would make sense for him to invest more time in the relationship and show her how much he cares. So Stephen goes back to the meeting, but the bloke is left, apparently triggered by seeing Stephen's mum. While he's off sobbing in the gents, Carla explains that the poor bloke is having his dad move in with him because the life insurance won't pay out on the suicide. Oh, pig's tits, shouts Stephen, and he runs off home. So he rushes home, grabs a red tin and takes out Tim's mum's suicide letter which he quickly crumples up when Tim's mum comes home. She's still pissed off about lunch. She asks him if he's happy and fulfilled. He says he is. She says that she isn't. And if he is happy, why is he always acting like he's never there? She wants to call the wedding off. Stephen says he needs air and runs out. And he runs to the florist and vaguely overhears Isabella and Mary from another storyline talking about taking care not to fall and die in the Peak District on the hiking holiday. <laughs> hmm, says Stephen. So stupid. So he goes back to the flat and apologises with flowers. She says this is apt. She complains about him never being there and his reaction is to run away. Stephen insists that she's more important to him than anything and wants to prove it to her by taking her away somewhere. Oh, I don't know. Let's say the Peak District. This wins Tim's mum over and she rushes off to pack her particularly slippy shoes. Let's hope I don't push you off a mountain, he says with a laugh. And then he looks at her life insurance documents in the red box just to remind us that they're a thing. On Wednesday in the morning, Stephen is boggling peak districts and most terrifying hikes when Tim's mum comes in. He tells her that once they come back from the trip, he plans to wind down his efforts in the factory with a view to retiring by this time next year. He dreams of a cottage near the beach with seagulls. And he deletes his search 
Which, do you know, if I know Vogel like I know Vogel, I think it does that incognito thing just as standard. Hmm. Stephen and Tim's mum turn up at number eight later to borrow a picnic basket because they've turned into Yogi Bear and Boo Boo. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gail and Sarah are going through old photos that give them the opportunity to laugh at Sally from the 1990s. Stephen goes to get ready for the trip, which leaves Tim's mum to join in with the photo session. And this, of course, leads to Gail showing Tim's mum a photo of Stephen and his ex, Gabrielle. <sighs> Tim's mum shits herself. She leaves and makes an excuse to Stephen that there's something she needs to pick up at the co-op for the journey, and she tells Stephen that she'll be a couple of minutes. Tim's mum is terrified and frantic and scared of Stephen as she's in the community garden where she's spotted by Tim. He demands to know what's got her all upset and wants to take her back to his house to calm down, but she needs to go back to the flat so the rest of the story can happen. So Tim goes with. And she fills him in that, Gab- like that. Gabrielle, Stephen's ex, is the woman that she saw on the mystery laptop and Siegel Consultancy and how Stephen's hiding everything in his precious red box. Right, and yet and yet she doesn't think to go to Carla and say, look at this woman, is she familiar to you? Right. We'll just that is a scene I would really love to see. All right, ball bags, <laughs> would Carla say. I think she so. She would kick him in the ball bags. We'll just see about that, says Tim, and he busts open the red box and finds insurance documentation at the top. What the actual fuck, says Tim's mum. She never signed anything about no life insurance. Meanwhile, Stephen's still hanging about in his car, getting worried about Tim's mum's whereabouts. In the flat, Tim thinks Stephen is after her money because no one seems to remember how life insurance works. And he, he's also worried that he's going to kill her. Tim sends Tim's mum back to his place while he packs a bag for her and gathers evidence for the cops. Stephen gets to the flat long after Tim's mum has left and is shocked to see Tim there. Rather than just grab the stuff and leave, Tim decides to tell Stephen how much they know about Gabrielle, about life insurance, about the forged signature, about seagulls shitting on his car, all that stuff. <laughs> Stephen starts to mock Tim, calling him a pathetic small man still grabbing on his mother's apron strings. You have no idea what you're messing with, says Stephen. Enraged, Tim pushes Stephen against the wall, which he bounces off of, and then gets a booby on his head from the banister of the spiral staircase. Get out, shouts Stephen. So that's what Tim does. Right, yes. Why Why on earth you would tell a man who's, like, got a foot on you that he's a small man? <laughs> right. And why you would say anything about his relationship with his mother right. when your mother is Audrey... Yeah. Who thinks the sun shines out your ass. And who you lived with until fairly recently. Right. It's almost like he's projecting. Just a wee bit. Which is something that sociopaths do. So later, Stephen bounces out the flat onto the street and shouts, And for a moment, it looks like he's having one of Adam's panic attacks. Either that or he's auditioning for Nirvana. But then he falls in a heap on the ground outside the barbers. And there he lies until David finds him. Right, until David walks out and it looks like, it almost looks like he's just going to step right over him. David very nonchalantly walks and, over to him. And then he realises that that's his uncle and mm-hmm. then he's finally concerned. At home, Tim tells Tim's mum that Stephen was pretty angry when he left but won't be causing any more trouble. He got the message and other ominous things that Tim's mum doesn't notice. Back at number eight, Sally's been brought in to look at photos of herself when she was younger while Gail and Sarah argue about what people mean when they don't want a fuss. Then Gail gets a call from David telling him that Stephen is in the hospital. So Gail rushes home to tell Tim and Tim's mum about Stephen. Tim's mum is shocked, saying that he was fine when Tim left him. Well, not exactly fine, says Tim. 
No, it's not Gail who runs home. No, it's Sally. Sally rushes home to tell Tim and Tim's mum about Stephen. Tim's mum is shocked, saying that he was fine when Tim left him. Well, not exactly fine, says Tim, and he explains about the slight push he gave Stephen before he left and the knock to the noggin that he got on the banister railing. He also shoved Mike. No one knows <laughs> how this ended with Stephen collapsed in the street. No. At the hospital, Gail and Sarah arrive and speak to David who tells them that Stephen is in surgery. Surgery, says Gail. Surgery, says David. It looks like he's been mugged, but nothing's been taken. Gail gets on the phone to tell Tim's mum, but Tim's mum dingies the call. Sally worries that Tim is responsible for all this, but Tim sticks to his story. It was just a wee shove and he was fine when he left. Tim's mum gets a text from Gail telling her about Stephen and how he's got a bleed on the brain. At the hospital, DC Tinker shows up like he's the most nervous person in the world. He thinks David is the victim. David tells him what he needs to do, so Tinker does that, while I guess the guy who's shadowing Tinker stands silent in the background. Right. Like he's a ghost and isn't actually there. And never says anything. No. Even though he would be the senior detective here. Right. Is, is, this, is this normal for you to practice on actual people? <laughs> right. <laughs> At number four, they're pontificating on the injuries that Stephen could have sustained given that he was found outside the barbers. But then there's a knock at the door and it's DC Tinker and his wee ghosty pal. And rather than just ask for Tim to come down to the station for questioning, Tinks decides to blow his wad, so to speak, by telling Tim about the CCTV and then arresting him for GBH, which immediately starts the clock ticking, giving him 24 hours to charge him or let him go. So on Friday, at the police station, Tim has been released without charge. Sally has been waiting all night and shouts ridiculous loudly as she leaves. This is ridiculous. Tim knows what Sally's like before breakfast. At the hospital, Stephen has come through the brain surgery without incident or bandage, apparently, and has yet to come round. It all went well. Audrey has been there all night and she's after blood when she learns from Gail that Tim has been let go. Back home, Tim apparently gave no comment all night to the cops and is about to head off to bed when Audrey arrives, angry at Tim, for not being in prison, and Tim's mum for not being at the hospital with her fiancé. If anyone should be in prison, says Tim, it should be your precious son. And Tim and Tim's mum explain about the life insurance policy that Tim's mum never signed. Audrey refuses to believe it, and upon learning that it's a joint policy, now thinks that Tim's mum wanted Stephen bumped off to get the money <laughs> herself. Right. The money that is already hers, let's remember. Yeah. Because it's Tim's mum's money that paid for the flat. Right. And Tim's mum who's bailed out Stephen so many times. Right. And Audrey probably doesn't know no. any of this, right? No. Yeah, that's but kind of the frustrating part about all this. Back at the hospital, Audrey tells Gail and Sarah about Tim and the insurance policy. Sarah can't believe it. Gail can. At this, Stephen wakes up. Back at number four, DC Tinker and his ghost arrive to tell Tim that the case has been dropped because Stephen has woken up and has told them that he just slipped and fell. DC Tinker gives Tim his card in case he needs to get in touch. I'll probably just text you, says Tim. Right. And this seems to annoy DC Tinker, who leaves in the huff. Yeah, he's annoyed <clears> by everybody because everybody just treats him like good old Craig. Because Tim and says, all right, mate. This, this is why perhaps maybe Tinker shouldn't be the one on this case. I mean, it's funny how shit he is and they're making a big deal about how shit he is and everyone's taking the piss out of him. But every time I see Tinker doing this, I think this should be Swain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it should. Mm. More Swain, please. 
Let's tinker. Tim's mum is confused about all this and sets off to see Stephen at hospital because why has Stephen been lying? Gail and Audrey go round to see Sally to apologise for all that kerfuffle earlier. Audrey says that she just got carried away, saying that David, who saw nothing, was sure that Stephen had been assaulted. Hey, at least Stephen's alright, says Sally, choosing not to give any further information away. Tim's mum goes to see Stephen and quickly cuts to the chase. Why did you lie to the police about Tim? And he says that he did it for her sake, and acts all confused about the life insurance thing, denying forging her signature, saying that she did it the day that she passed out. Tim's mum will not be gaslight like this though and sees the similarities with Tim's dad. She calls off the wedding, which Stephen thinks is Kung Fu Jerry's doing. Tim's mum asks if Gabrielle was in on this, but Stephen claims that Claire was just a look-alike for his ex-wife right. and insists that Tim's mum signed the life insurance. It looks like he's about to get away with this and get her to agree or to question herself enough right. that there's enough doubt for her not to be sure, but uh-huh. she stands her ground. Yeah, and she correctly says, if I look at that paperwork, will it really say, mm-hmm. will it really be signed after I had this issue right. or before? And he cannot answer her. Either way, she can't trust them anymore. You're dumped. Back home, Tim's mum is relieved that Stephen is now out of her life for good. And she's sitting on Sally's chair with her bare feet touching the upholstery. Sally's going to break her neck for that. Sally's still unsure about how... All this has played out given Tim's confession, but he's just happy it's all over. Let that be an end to it. Meanwhile, Stephen is on the phone to the insurance company, officially cancelling the policy. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. So Tim's mum is safe now. Yeah. The policy's been cancelled. Right. There's nothing to gain from getting rid of Tim's mum now. (sighs) I'm still trying to decide if Kung Fu J- if calling Jerry Kung Fu Jerry is racist or not. I think if it was the Asian, that would be. Because Tai Chi and Kung Fu are very different things. Mm-hmm. So just making it seem like all martial arts are the same feels a little... Well, I mean, there's so many things wrong with Steven. Steven's just a bad person. Ah... Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we just need Audrey to find out that Stephen has essentially sold her house out from under her. Yeah, let's not forget that. <laughs> let's not forget that that's a thing. And How has she not found this out yet? How has she not checked? Uh, did they send statements for these sorts of things? I would assume would think so. so. I mean, it's a big financial commitment, I guess. You'd think that they would tell people on the regular, remember that thing that you did? Well, this right. is what it's worth now. And we're still going to take your house when you die. All right? right. All right. Yeah. Yeah, let's not forget yeah, that. There's, there's, there's so many. Now now that the first the first dominoes are starting to fall, is this is this the beginning of the end, do you think? God, it feels like it. And the thing that triggered it all was Stephen making a neener neener face right. at Tim's mum. That's yeah. been the catalyst for all of this. Right. Yeah. He was on easy street with her. Yeah. Because she was quite happy to live this little life with them and be and be uh, charmed by the idea of them growing old together. Right. But he he had to push it. He had to get some satisfaction out of humiliating her a little bit, even right. if it was behind her back. Right. And and uh, not coming up with a decent enough lie. Right. And he's getting bad at lying now. It's getting worse. Because what? because nothing he said to her in the hospital 
flies. No, nothing landed. What else was in that red box, though? That's what I want to know. Right. And where did he throw away that suicide letter? Because he just crumpled it up. He didn't tear it up. No, he crumpled up and put it in his pocket. That's what it looked like. Yeah. If he put it in the red box. Right. Yeah, it's just a good thing he took it out of the red box and crumpled it up. Because suicide wasn't going to work now. She Mm. had to die by a horrible accident. Right. Alone on a mountain. Or high on the hill. Right. He just needs to grow a mustache, doesn't he? And buy a top hat and get a snickering dog. Yeah, he needs an old steam railway line. Right, to tie Tim's mum onto. Right. For somebody plays chase music on the piano in the background. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad that Tim's mum seems to be safe. It felt particularly cruel when they remind you of her history with Tim's dad. Not that we could forget it. Mm. And I think I've complained about this before, but she was the sort of person for Yasmin, who was the strong woman who warned her not to be fooled by by this. Because she's seen it so many times before. It's kind of insulting that she then does fall for it again. Right. And she, she, she's gotten pretty deep with Stephen here. Yes. This hasn't just been a, a passing little romantic fad. No. She's living with a guy. Yeah. And now she has to figure out a way to get him out of her house. Which, thankfully, I think is in her name. Yes. And they're not married. No. So it's not a matrimonial home. So no. she's not going to have to give half of it away to him, I don't think. No. But yeah, that's going to be that's going to be tricky. Yeah. But I'm hoping that from this she's going to get a little bit of resolve back. Yes. And it, a bit of and, spunk. And it seems like that has begun as well because I was so terrified that she was falling for. She was wavering. It looked like she was wavering. Mm-hmm. So when she didn't, I was like, "Yes, right. Thank you, thank you for remembering who you are." It's just hilarious though that. You know, for a second there, it seemed like Stephen thought that he could do to Tim what he did <laughs> right. to Leo and Teddy. And to the youths. And, right, to the youths and to um, Rutherford B. Paisley Beanstalk. Rufus Houndstooth. Yes. In his robe. <laughs> God, that robe. If, if robes could tell stories. We wouldn't want to hear them. <laughs> but, you know, because Tim is, because he comes at Tim. See, his mistake was coming at Tim head on. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have the element of surprise yeah, he like he did with Tim everybody else. Yeah. Because he took everyone else from behind. But not like that. Even the youths he took from behind. I'm trying to think. what What's in this for Stephen again? What's his... What's his motivation for... for it's to buy the factory, isn't it? he wants to buy the factory. And why does he want to buy the factory? So the upshot of this is he can't buy a factory? Oh, oh, well. You know, you would think that the only thing he wants to do is get out of the country because he's murdered two people. Mm-hmm. You Three people. I keep forgetting about Rutherford. Rufus. Rufus T. Houndstooth. He needed to leave before Rufus Houndstooth was even on the scene. Yes, and it looked like he was going to, and then he didn't, and it doesn't make sense. Because he's got a taste for it. He enjoys it. Well, so gross. 
If you could get to like a kill count of 10. No. <laughs> you just want him to kill everyone on the street. I want, I want him to kill a few people in the street. I think everybody wants him to kill a few more people in the street. Yeah. <clears throat> and for him to like kill someone who actually matters. But all this, yes, yeah, not a, a brief recurring character. Right, yes. But no women. But no women. But all this so he can't buy a factory. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's not like it's getting, it's digging them out of a financial hole. Like, did any of them do that? No. He hasn't really gained financially from any of these. From deaths. any of these, he just hasn't. He just hasn't lost. That's because right. he was getting Rufus, bribed by Rufus, right? And also, well, oh no, rather. he was being blackmailed. Yeah. And also, Rufus was going to tell Carla the truth, right? And Teddy had found out some things about Leo's death and confront and was dumb and confronted him rather about it rather than going to the police. And Leo was just, well, Leo was marrying Jenny and for some reason. Decided to have an argument on a gantry. Right. With an old man, let's see. So. Right. Yeah. Which he, which he knew he was trying to bump off his own mom, but it's like, Leo, why do you care? It's not your mom. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to be noble, and that it fails horribly. That was Cinco Leo's problems all over. He was too noble. Too noble. Noble Cinco Leo. Right. But not noble enough to go down into the sinkhole to save Jenny. No, he, he lets Johnny do it. <laughs> that wasn't noble. That was ignoble. Yes. Yeah, poor Stephen. He's killed three people and he's no better off. No. And now he In doesn't fact, have he's a factory. Kind of worse off. He should have just gone home. I'm thinking that he's nobody just starts killing three people in a year at the age that he's at. He's definitely killed people in Milan and in Canada. Well, we know he's been a bad person that he's done illegal things in those other countries. Yeah. So and, and I'm kinda joking but kinda not about that. Right. I think nobody just starts killing people at that age and then continues doing it. Right. This is a younger man's game. He's been doing this for years and getting away with it. Well, we'll see. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. So tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? You know what? It was Paul walking into the MND place and his conversation with Shelley. Very good. Like from the very beginning, from the stairs onward, it was just a really well-constructed scene where we were shown and not told... And the show trusted us to get the message. And then the week where it was kind of doing the opposite of that. Right. Seemingly deliberately. We, yeah. we, we take these small moments when we can get them. Yes. Absolutely. There was so much exposition in the spider storyline. You almost expected Tom Cruise to show up <laughs> jumping from a plane. Yes. Exposition impossible. That is our... Moment of the week. Not the, week. the Tom Cruise stuff, the Paul stuff. Right. Yes. Your boring moment of the week. Is is it is it is it the Stonehenge conversation? Although I c- it can't be the Stonehenge conversation because Mary blames aliens, is and that's always fun. Eileen and George, Eileen and George complaining about not getting to turn Mary's room into an office when, when George has a whole house mm-hmm. that's sitting empty. Yeah, during during a housing crisis. <laughs> right. I don't know if that's born or not, but. I don't know how much I can be bothered thinking about something else. See, 
the it, the reason why that's not boring is because of the whole funny scene that happened right before it where they were watching oh that's true brian and isabella fall out and it was hilarious is it daniel remembering that he and paul are friends i'll do it let's <laughs> boring moment of the week oh well let's wrap this one up then this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast daisy french helen and pickles pickles thanks everybody if you've ever planned a very perilous trip to the peaks very very a very plosive outro that yeah if you've done that let us know about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and threads. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links please. to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. The talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.